At uh, 8.59 this morning, I got a call from Rich, who is, if you look in your program, supposed to be speaking this morning on this topic, and uh, he has some sort of a stomach flu, so I had 12 minutes to put together this message. <laughs> so this is the 12-minute uh, Sunday here, and so you'll see me looking a little bit more closely at my notes, and the problem is I can't read my own handwriting sometimes, so that's going to be fun. But um, anyway, I, I didn't see when people raised their hands. How many of you have finished your taxes? Only about half. Okay, so of the rest of you, how many of, are, of you are intending to actually file your taxes? Go ahead. And, now, see, only about half of them. That means about a quarter of the congregation here this morning is not intending to file their taxes. Any IRS agents out there? Okay, no, none. That's good. That's good. You know, I have a couple of confessions to make. Uh, the first is that I have not finished my taxes either, but I will be working on them tomorrow all day, and I think I'm going to be home all day working, uh, working on my taxes. The other, and this one is probably a little bit more embarrassing, and um, well, that is that I actually enjoy uh, filling out my taxes. I think it's the, some of you know I used to be an engineer, and I think it's the mathematical side of me that finds the challenge in trying to legally pay as little in taxes as I possibly can. It just kind of deciphering all those forms and, and that sort of thing. It's kind of fun for me. I don't enjoy the part where you write out the check, you know, at the end, or in my case, quarterly. Uh, but that's, you know, it's confession here at church. Um, but why is it, why is it that we don't like the IRS, you know? I mean, the, if, if there are any IRS agents here, you know, why is it that, that they would be hiding today and not telling us who they are, um, it's not that they're mean and nasty people by nature. I think it's the job that they have to do. But why is it that we don't like that? And I think the bottom line is, do you remember the old commercial on the TV that used to say, it's my money? You know, it's my money. I don't want to give my money to the IRS, and, and I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. Uh, well, we all believe that our government does some really good things for us. There's some things that we disagree with about our government. It's our money, and we are happy to give it to help other people, but we want the freedom to choose to do that. We don't want it taken from us. And I think that's part of the reason uh, why we don't like the IRS. But in Jesus' day, uh, there was a similar situation. And I want us to, to read about that from... Uh, the Gospel of Mark, and starting in verse 13 of chapter 12. I'd like to, to read that to you here. And uh, just follow along on the screen. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. There's a few cultural aspects of this, uh, this little story that I, I need to bring out. First, you've got these two groups that come to Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians. 
Now, these are, these are both uh, Jewish groups. They're kind of like political parties within Judaism. And the Pharisees were the ultra-nationalistic, um, very pro-Israel kind of group. They are trying to obey the Jewish law as perfectly as they can. They follow the letter of the law very, very strictly. On the other hand, you've got the Herodians, and they're named after Herod, who was the Roman-appointed governor of Israel at that time. You see, uh, Israel was being occupied by the Romans at that point, and so there were, most of the Jews were loyal to Israel, but a few, uh, at least in the eyes of, of their fellow Jews, a few were loyal to Rome, and that was the Herodians. And so these two political parties didn't get along uh, nearly as well as, say, our Republicans and Democrats get along today. And if you watch the news, you know they don't get along too well at this point. Um, so these two parties don't get along with one another except when they have a common enemy, and that's Jesus. You know the saying, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so these two parties, these two groups, got together with the common aim of trying to trap Jesus. Now, if you think we don't like paying our taxes, think about the situation that they were in. First, they had to pay taxes to the Jewish governing authorities, and that was usually called the temple tax. And so they had to pay that tax. They could deal with that because it was their own people. It was their own uh, local government, in a sense. But they also had to pay this tax, the imperial tax, that was paid to uh, the Romans, who were, who were the occupying power. And this is one that they absolutely, as the people of Israel, as the Jews, would not want to have paid. And so the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, at one level, seem like they're trying to say, which, who are you going to side with, the Pharisees or the Herodians? But what they're really trying to do is... Who are you going to side with, the populace or the Romans? See, if, if Jesus said we, we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, then the Romans are going to get really upset because actually at that point, Caesar viewed himself as a god and uh, they were, he, he demanded the worship in a sense of his people. And so if you weren't going to pay those taxes, you, know, you, could be, you actually could be killed for that. And so if Jesus says, no, we don't pay taxes to Caesar, the Romans are going to be upset with him. But if he says, yes, we should pay taxes to Caesar, then the, then the average Jewish people were going to be upset with him. So he's caught between a rock and a hard place. And one of the things that I love about Jesus and about the, the stories that we read about him in the Gospels is his brilliance because he, he, he is always able to get out of these difficult situations and turn it to his advantage. It's, I mean, he's, he's brilliant. It's almost like he's God. Well, actually, he is God. So that, that would make a lot of sense there. But so look at what he does. He says, bring me a denarius. And that was the Roman coin. That was the basic unit, uh, you know, it's like our dollar kind of thing there. And uh, he says, whose image, whose picture is on it? Whose inscription is on it? It's kind of like me saying, hey, show me a dollar bill. Whose picture is on that? You know, George Washington. Whose signature is on it? Well, whatever secretary of the treasury was in office when that particular bill was printed. You know, we've got our presidents on our bill. They had their, their Caesars, their, their emperors on their coins. So he says, Whose image and likeness is on it? They say Caesar's. He says, okay, so Caesar's picture's on it. Give it to Caesar. It's Caesar's. Brilliant answer because nobody could argue with him. It makes perfect sense. And so he diffused the situation in just an incredibly brilliant way. But he didn't stop there. He went, he went one step further. 
when he says, give back to Caesar, or as we had on the screen earlier, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. He follows, with, follows it with, and render unto God or give back to God the things that are God's. Now we like, we're sitting here saying, okay, so wh- what does that mean? And what does that have to do with anything? If you were a Jew in that day, you'd know immediately what he was talking about. The first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one and verses 26 and 27, talks about how we as human beings are created in the image of God. We bear the image of God. Just as that coin bore the image and likeness of Caesar, so we as human beings bear the image and likeness of God. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's, he's saying, hey, you are God's. You bear God's image. You need to give yourself to God. And the fact that you're in opposition to me, in opposition to Jesus, it's not me, it's it's Jesus, of course, that you are standing in opposition to Jesus means you're standing in opposition to God and you're not giving yourself to God. So it's kind of, he turns the knife there and twists it just to kind of poke them a little bit and to get them uh, to, to, to think about that. If I were to ask you to pull out your driver's license, you know, uh, and, and show it to me, I could tell immediately whose license that was because it's got your picture on it. It's got your image on it. It is a limited, two-dimensional representation of who you are, and it gives me some idea of what you look like. In the same way, we are a limited representation of God in a spiritual sense, not so much in a physical sense, but more in a spiritual sense. We are, we could say, God's self-portrait. He painted us in order that the world would know what he looks like. We image him, if I can turn that into a verb. We image him, we represent him to the rest of creation. So when creation looks at us, they ought to see what God is like. And there are so many implications of that. I just want to highlight two of those for you, uh, two of those for you this morning. First, we are of infinite value in God's eyes. We are of infinite value in God's eyes. Hand me your driver's license and tell me that you don't like the picture on it and I start drawing on it with a Sharpie, put a little mustache and beard, and you're going to be upset even though you may not like the picture itself. Why? Because I'm messing with your picture. It is valuable to you even if you're not thrilled with it, even if it's not the perfect family portrait that you you sat for 45 minutes for and went through 15 different pictures in order to pick it out. Even if it's one that you don't like, You don't want me messing with it. Why? Because it's you. It's a picture of you. And in the same way, God doesn't want us messing with one another because we're his self-portrait. So whether it's racism or sexism or just plain picking on people for whatever reason is hurting one another, God says no because he's created in my image. She's created in my image. And so they're valuable to me. Don't mess because it's my self-portrait, God says. But it also has implications for how we live, for how we act. God is a God of love. If we're going to image him, we ought to love one another to show other people what God is like. God is a God of compassion, of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness, of truth, of honor, of integrity. These are all characteristics of what God is like. And when we act in those ways... 
we're showing the rest of the world what God is like. If, you, if you're reading the news this week, uh, yet again, there are uh, Christians in the news who are not acting uh, the way that followers of Christ ought to act. And what happens? Well, if, if you're a follower of Christ, you're kind of embarrassed by that. and You, you don't want people to, to be reading those news stories. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're saying, what kind of a God is that? You know, that has these people that act this way. So as we live our lives, we are a reflection of who God is, and we ought to want to live in a way that accurately reflects his character. The other implication is that we belong to God. Just as Jesus says, whose image is on that coin? Caesar's. Belongs to Caesar. He says, whose image is on us? God's. Okay, well, we belong to God. And that has incredible implications. Ask yourself, the fact that I belong to God, that I bear God's image, how does that affect my life? How does that affect my relationship with my husband or my wife? How does that affect my relationship with my children? Am I showing them the love of God? Am I sacrificing for them? Am I putting their needs ahead of my own? How about my job? Maybe I'm a banker. Maybe I'm an attorney. Maybe I'm a teacher. Maybe I'm between jobs looking, looking for new opportunities. Maybe I'm at home during the day taking care of my kids. You know, How does the fact that I am an image bearer, that I am one who's created to look like Jesus, how does that affect the way that I carry out my job? Uh, could be as simple as saying, you know what? I'm getting paid to do a full day's work. I'm going to do that full day's work, and I'm going I'm to do it with a good attitude. And as I'm doing that, I'm serving God and I'm bringing honor to him. I mean, for me, it's, it's kind of an obvious thing. I'm a minister, you know, I'm a professional Christian, I get paid to be good. Uh, you guys are good for nothing. I mean, just, just, just teasing. You know, it's obvious for, say, me or Rich or Steve, but what about you guys? In your workplace, in your home, you're bearing God's image, and you are bringing honor and glory to him just as much as, as, as I am up here, or Steve, or, or, or Rich. Are there areas in my life where I'm, I'm refusing to surrender to him? Again, it could be in a relationship. It could be in my work. It could be in my recreational life. It could be in my thought life. Am I surrendering myself? Am I giving myself to God? God is not like uh, the IRS. The IRS doesn't care about us. It, it, it's got one purpose, to collect taxes. God is not like Caesar, who has his own selfish interests at heart, as the Jews would understand. God, our God, is a God of love and care and mercy and grace. A God who we just celebrated last week, sacrificed himself for us, died on the cross because we're broken, because we're messed up, because we sin. And he was willing to give himself for us, So following after him, surrendering to him, serving him is not like serving some horrible slave master. It's serving serving the one who created us and then who died to restore us, to redeem us, to, to forgive us, who loves us and who has our best interests at heart. The absolute best possible thing that we can do is live a life of following after Christ 
And that's where we're going to find fulfillment. That's where we're going to find peace. That's where we're going to find strength to live our day-to-day lives. And that's what God wants us to do. So that's the absolute best thing for us to do. After the first service, uh, Steve said, hey, I got this great quote for you that'll fit really well with your message. And and the guys are going to put it up on the screen now. It's from a uh, fourth century Christian, fourth century follower of Christ named Athanasius. And uh, Athanasius writes, we were made in the likeness of God, but in course of time, that image has become obscured like a face on a very old portrait dimmed with dust and dirt. When a portrait is spoiled, the only way to renew it is for the subject to come back to the studio and sit for the artist all over again. That is why Christ came, to make it possible for the divine image in man to be recreated. We were made in God's likeness. We are remade in the likeness of his son. To bring about this recreation, Christ still comes to men and lives among them. In a special way, he comes to his church, that's all followers of, uh, of Jesus, his body to show us what the image of God is really like. What a responsibility the church has to be Christ's body, showing him to those who are unwilling or unable to see him in providence or in creation. Through the word of God lived out in the body of Christ, they can come to the Father and themselves be made again in the likeness of God. That's a powerful thought. We're created in the image of God. We're his self-portrait. But that portrait has been tarnished. And God is in the process of restoring it, of removing the dirt and grime, of, of repainting it, of bringing out the beautiful, vibrant colors, of making us and remaking us again and again and again to look more and more and more like himself, which is the absolute best thing for us. And our role is, as Daniel was singing earlier, to surrender to him, to say, okay, work on me, work in me, and work through me to show others what you're like. So Thursday, 11.30 p.m., you're frantically trying to finish off your taxes. You're going to e-file so you know you got another 29 minutes before you have to push that button. Or you got to get to the post office and you're praying that that, there's going to be a post office open at midnight when you try to turn in your taxes. Or maybe it's 9.30 and uh, you're saying, you know what, I can go to bed. My taxes were done two months ago. Whatever it is, as you're thinking about your taxes this week, as you're thinking about rendering under Caesar, giving back to the government, stop, take some time, pray, examine your life and ask God to show you okay, Lord, where am I surrendered to you and and where am I not? Let me encourage you just to take one more step closer to God and ask him to help you to see his love and his grace and his mercy in a new and fresh way. And as you do that, ask him to show you just one area in your life where you can take one more step and grow closer to him and surrender to him and ask him to work in your life to continue to, to, to remake, to reform, to recreate, and to clean up that image so that when others look at you, they'll say, hey, I want to get to know the God who you follow. Let's pray. Father, it is a privilege that we have to, to serve you, to surrender to you, and I just thank you that you're the kind of God who has our best interest at heart, that you care about us, 
that you want to see us grow, that you want to see us flourish, and that you're working in us in spite of the fact that we're broken, in spite of the fact that we're fallen, in spite of the fact that we don't perfectly image you. And Father, I pray that you would continue to work in us to make us more and more like yourself. And as you do, I pray that others would look at us and they would see Jesus and they would be drawn to him. We pray in his name, amen.